Month of meat. Okay. So, yes, and our continuation of the month of meat, uh, even though it's not May. We, we never, never said it had to be in May, just May and meat, month, kind of was an M thing. <laughs> yeah, the MMM. I don't know if it's vegan. No, it's not vegan at all. It's not with a T-bone up there. So, um, yeah, so Pastor Wade is here uh, from Lighthouse Wesleyan Church. Uh, who did we have last, last week? We had the swim party last week. Yes, we had, we had sausages and hot dogs and hamburgers. And the week before that, we had Pastor George, right, from Elk Grove. Elk Grove. I was going to say that afterwards, but okay. Redeemer Presbyterian Church of Elk Grove, just to get it right. All right, so there we go. And so this is going to be unique. Uh, Wade and I figured this out beforehand. This was his idea, not mine, but I think it's a wonderful idea. And that is um, putting him on the spot. Well, all of us on the spot, kind of, um, in that this is the time to get some of your tough questions answered. Or questions maybe that other people ask you, and you don't know quite how to answer that. Is that fair? Yeah. So it's a Q&A, and it is a, uh, an apologetic type of Q&A for the most part. And so um, he's uh, taken the risk. It's, it's courageous to do this, actually. <laughs> but it's uh, a spiritual hobby that he has, so he likes doing this kind of stuff. So uh, without further ado, we'll, we'll give it over to Wade. And uh, I'd like to say to keep it in the spirit of the podcast. So I'll hold the microphone when somebody else is going to ask the question so we can run it because microphone will not connect. No, I think it is it is wireless, but um, but um, I'll let you hold it. When somebody's going to do it, I'll run over and bring it back. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I could repeat the question. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be okay. Yeah. That's right. So we've moved into the 90s. Is that what I'm yeah. sensing? That's pretty cool. We it's awesome. UHF. It's awesome. RF. Yeah. That's right. So. Uh, yeah, we've. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. My son raised his hand. All right. So, uh, so. I wanted to start off by doing a few things. So the, the agenda for the evening, how much time do we have? As much time as Oh, my goodness. Up. You never say that to me, Randall. How many times? Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I've got <laughs> so, um, so we're going to be talking through the issue of apologetics tonight. And... Uh, there's a couple of things. Uh, we'll begin with prayer. Uh, I do have a brief message. I want to keep it as brief as possible because I feel like the meat of our session is going to be in the Q&A and the back and forth. And so I will just tell you that 
Uh, if you don't have questions for me, I will have questions for you, and there'll be a doozy. Okay, so uh, so I'm sort of sort of just saying that if you can't think of a question, you should get ready with an answer because. Um, so the way that we'll do the Q&A is I always like uh, to simulate a real-world kind of situation, although we, it's tough to do. So is, are there, be thinking to yourself, am I an actor? Some of you are already. I already know that, right? So we're going to do like role plays, right? Like back and forth kind of role plays, except unlike in the real world, what you'll get is the opportunity to do a lifeline. And that means there's, what is there, 20 people here, right? So if we get stumped or stuck or whatever, we will throw the lifeline out and we'll call a pause in the, uh, in the conversation, okay? Does that sound okay? All right, so let's start with prayer. We'll get into just a brief message and we'll go right into the role playing, okay? All right, Lord, thank you for uh, being good to us and bringing us to this place. It is just so good to be here tonight with these young people whose minds are far sharper than mine. Uh, who are way ahead of me in so many ways, Lord, I just pray that you give us a word from you tonight, that we would somehow come into your presence, and Lord, by way of your Holy Spirit, would you just lead us this evening, help us to understand who you are, and how you are, and how you interact with us, and then again, how we should interact with one another and with the world, Lord. So we submit ourselves for, to the transformations that you have in mind for us tonight, uh, Lord, we pray uh, that you will somehow uh, just help us to humble our hearts and be willing and ready to then listen to you and learn from you this evening. We love you, Lord. We submit this time to you and ask you to use it well to build within us a faith that is strong. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so apologetics is an interesting sort of a thing. We don't spend a lot of time in churches uh, talking about apologetics. But uh, it is sort of a pet hobby of mine, and I try as best as I can to experience apologetics at every opportunity that I can. So uh, one thing about apologetics that makes it somewhat unique in a church setting or in a Christian setting is that you don't spend an awful lot of time quoting the Bible. Can anyone tell me why? Why don't you quote the Bible? Well, most likely that's right. That's exactly right. It would be as if a Hindu person came to you and said, well, uh, you know, I think that you should do X, Y, and Z because the Vedas, my holy scripture, tells me that that's what you should do. What we, are you likely to say to that person? Well, thanks anyway. I appreciate the offer for this new faith that you've, you're putting, but I really, I've got my own. Thanks, Right. So you can't really use a lot of the biblical kind of things that we would normally talk through. But I am going to read at least one passage to you. The idea of apologetics traditionally comes from 1 Peter 3.15. And it says this, uh, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have but do this with gentleness and respect. So apologetics is actually that word there, uh, give an answer is translated apologia. 
and we transliterate that into apologetics. And that's really the basis on which most of this field of study comes from. And let me just define what apologetics is. Apologetics is the theological discipline of providing a defense for the Christian faith. Okay, so let me say that again. Apologetics is the theological discipline of providing a defense for the Christian faith. So, why do we do apologetics? Is it to win an argument? No, that's not really... uh, Is it to answer questions? That's a good thing, but probably not the end goal. Is it to make sure that your friend group shrinks? There's a way of doing apologetics that will assure that that happens, actually. You would definitely have less (laughs) friends after if you don't do it well. Is it to make you feel smarter? Because sometimes we can use like big words and Multisyllabic is actually my biggest word that I know, and so I, I use that word. So it, it, it's, it's really not... So, so what I would say is this, proper apologetics leads to evangelism. Proper apologetics leads to evangelism. Evangelism, of course, is the spread of the gospel. The reason that we do apologetics is not so that we can seem smarter than our friends or to shrink our friend group or to win an argument or any of those things. It's actually to bring a conversation or a person to the point where they can, be, they can hear and respond to the gospel. That is the end goal of apologetics. Apologetics cannot save a person. So I'll just say that again. Apologetics is not going to save anybody. The gospel saves people. Evangelism saves people. But apologetics will only clear the way for evangelism to do its thing. Therefore, I would say this. Apologetics is actually inferior to evangelism. If you haven't learned to evangelize, don't bother learning apologetics, right? That's like learning the build-up to a joke, but not bothering with the punchline, right? It's not a very, nobody's going to laugh at that, right? It's not a good joke. Learn the punchline, then learn the build-up, right? So what apologetics does is it clears the way for evangelism. It makes possible the hearer might receive the gospel, repent, and be saved. Right? So, the first thing that I'll tell you about apologetics is this. Don't enter into an apologetic discussion unless it's actually required. Like some people are ready for the punchline of the joke without even hearing the body of the joke. They're just ready to hear the punchline. So you can skip to the punchline. Right? It's okay to not do apologetics and skip right to the punchline. It's A-OK. So what I would say is, is practice the, the, the gospel before you practice apologetics. Practice evangelism. Sometimes people are just ready to say yes. It's a weird thing. Like you didn't do anything. Somebody else did something a long time ago, but they're ready to say yes. So be ready with that. Actually write down a general like gospel thing so that you're ready with it whenever the opportunity comes up right as a christian person it's very important for you to be able to do that 
It's one of the fundamental things to Christianity. It's accidentally, incidentally, it's one of the things that I think makes Christianity run dry for a lot of people. Many, many Christian people will go through their entire Christian lives without actually seeing or experiencing or leading someone to Christ. That ends up being a very dry faith. It ends up being one of those things that you can celebrate and can really, really, you know, experience your own faith afresh. Okay. So, couple of a uh, couple of other things. So, I do apologetics in a very different way than most people would do. So, I generally lead conversations through questions. And I have like 10 or 15 questions that are just in the bank at all times, ready to roll. Sometimes I don't know what I'm going to say next or how to respond to the thing. And I need a chance to figure it out. So I'll just give you a couple of these that are good to start. Why do you ask that question? So if the, it, it, that's a really good thing to say to a person. I mean, we can fill in the blank with whatever question it is that they have. Why do... Why do Christians hate gay people so much? Why do you ask that question? Right? You don't really believe that the earth was only created like 10, like made 10,000 years ago, do you? Why do you ask that question? It's a really good way to just put them in the seat of sort of expanding on the question, right? Because there's a lot of different reasons that a person could, might ask one of these questions. So why do you ask that question is like one of my go-tos. It does a bunch of different things. What I'm trying to do here is to get at the motivation of the question. Why do good things happen to bad people? Why do you ask that question? Now, if the person asking the question and responding to my question says, well, because my aunt just died and I really loved her and she was really good, but she wasn't a Christian. I'd have one kind of response. If the person said, because you guys are always talking about how good you are, and if you're, you were so good and your God was so good, then why would he let good people, you know, bad things happen to good people? Like those two responses will tell me a lot about who it is that I'm talking to. And my response will be way more soft with the first person. Right? With the second person, I might take a little more liberty to challenge a few things uh, that I wouldn't with the first person. It's also important to know if this person does now or, has, or feels like they've ever been a Christian because some people are dealing with a lot of baggage. So the, the question, do you have personal faith in Jesus? Like that's a good question to ask because it tells you something about their mindset. What comes to your mind when I use the term God or Jesus? What comes to your mind when I say those words to you? How would you experience, how would you describe your experience with like churches or Christian people? Like that tells you a lot about their mindset. And it's important to understand where they're coming from. The thing is that Jesus asked a bunch of questions as well. In fact, I got a shocker for you. Jesus didn't always answer the question that was asked. Sometimes he answered a totally different question. Sometimes he just said, 
Well, you didn't answer me, so I'm not going to answer you. So I'll just give you a little hint. If you think about the question, and then you repeat the question back, and you realize, like, there's no way I can answer this question that I don't sound stupid or God doesn't sound evil. Right? Like, there's something wrong with the question. That's a hint. That's an indicator. Like, something is wrong with this question. Right? It's like when I first discovered that there were certain questions that I could ask my friends on the schoolyard, like seventh, uh, seven years old or so, you start to ask questions like, did you go stupid from being ugly or did you go ugly from being stupid? Right? Does your mom know that you're a terrible student? Right? I mean, so the, there's no good answer to those questions, right? What's the, <laughs> Right? If that person tries to answer the question, they're either going to look stupid or ugly, or both, right? And a bad student, right? So there's certain ways that you can ask certain questions that will never, never turn out to be, like, you can't give a good answer to those questions. And just because someone lays a trap for you doesn't mean that you have to step in it, right? So it's okay to say, you know, I'm not going to answer that. It's okay to reject answering a question. In fact, that's the moment where you pivot and, and ask them questions, actually, is the best thing to do in that situation. So, so I'm usually trying to sort the questioner. I'm trying to figure them out. Are they Christian or non-Christian? Right? If they are a Christian person, I may actually bring some, some scripture into the answer. Because I might have that kind of basis with them. But if they're not, or if they rejected the faith, what they're really saying is don't bother with that Bible stuff. Because I don't believe in that anyway. You might as well be talking about Dr. Seuss, because that's not a book that I revere. Now, you use scriptural truth in the answers. Of course you do. But you don't give addresses. You, you know, personalize it to the situation. You don't use the King James language, right? The other thing that you want to know is, is, is this person actually antagonistic to my faith, or are they just asking a question because of some hurt or some other thing in their life? We tend to assume that if someone says, man, I could never just like judge people like Christian people, we tend to assume that that question or that comment comes from a place of antagonism, but it may not. It may actually come from them being in a situation where a Christian person has been very rude and disrespectful to them and judgmental to them, right? Like that may be a reality of their situation. And you want to sort that out before you, you know, answer that question. So understanding whether they're antagonistic or not is really important as well. Have they been hurt? Are they asking you to kind of, sometimes there's a little bait that they're putting out, right? They're asking you to see what your reaction's going to be. A lot of people will do that. They're weirdos. They just, they're weird. I mean, like, like why would you ask a question? You're not actually interested in the answer. You're only interested in my res how I respond to the answer. That's dumb, right? I don't say that out loud. I just think that. All right. So there's four basic questions that all, uh, basic categories that all questions fall into, and you'll see this as we go through. Origins, morality, meaning, and destiny. Beginnings, uh, uh, where does morality come from, purpose, and what happens after we die or what happens after the world ends. 
almost all questions that I've heard of, yeah, so it's origins, morality, meaning, and destiny. So, now we're going to start in our little interactions, okay? So, where's, our, where's the actor? Who, want, who has a question? Oh, you had your hand up first. Right out of the, be- out of the gate. How you doing, man? Yeah, I know. How you doing? It's good to see you. All right. Okay. All right. Would you like to stand up or do you just want to do it this way? Is that okay? Which way? Okay. Well, they're going to want to they're going to want to hear, aren't they? The people on the on the virtual wherever. Sure, is that okay? All right. Cool. What's your name again? I'm Chaz. Chaz. It's good to see you again, man. Nice to see you too. All right. So, um my question's more about like uh a probably the root of it. Like what makes uh Christianity like the it all be all mm. like what makes it uh the religion to follow because i mean you have so many other religions with books so you can't really use the bible for me as a proof of uh why your religion stands out because you mm-hmm. have the quran you have however many others you can name on your hands yeah um you can't say faith because every other religion has faith sure. mm-hmm. um so what makes you guys different? Like, what makes uh, God real? Like, um, what, uh, I mean, what makes it so there is a God? Like, um, so, uh, so uh, yeah, I think, I think I might know where you're going. Uh, l- let me repeat the question back to you just to make sure that I understand it fully. All right. So uh, what makes belief in Jesus uh, the only way it seems pretty exclusivistic to you. It seems like yeah. It seems like yeah. if um, if we're talking about a being of all power, uh, yeah. God, why would He only make one way, in a yeah. way that um, people before Him, uh, for Christ, would never have known, or people who uh, can never get reached by this yeah. religion ever like get. So why would He make it so that not everyone could have the opportunity to go, yeah. at the same at the same time um like what like what makes it so that him is the only way like um how is there not another uh, what about all the jews um that followed god um do they not get accepted into the heaven because they didn't accept christ yeah so uh so i think i understand uh the question and um so what I a couple of things that I would say is, um, firstly, my experience and reality dictates that I can really only see uh, one way to truth. So, for example, if I told you that I drove to this house okay. with uh, my son, but then later you heard me telling Jacob that I drove to this house with my daughter, would you assume that you got the truth? No. Yeah, there's some assumption there that, well, either it needs more explanation, there's something in there that makes that either the first statement is true or the second statement is true, or there's something that needs, maybe I drove twice, I drove my son here, and then I went back to the house and picked up my daughter and drove my daughter here. There's something that needs further explanation, but I think... Maybe you drove both at the same time. Or maybe I drove both at the same time, there might be, but what you wouldn't assume is that you got the truth. Yeah. 
I can't have driven both my son and my daughter if they weren't in the car at the same time, right? Right. Would you agree with that? I would agree. So what uh, truth is always exclusivistic. In fact, if you were to go to the Jews, you mentioned the Jews, uh, they have an ex exclusive um, story for how truth evolved, how we all got here, all the big questions. They have their own story. That's the same with, uh, that's the same with uh, Muslims. It's the same with Buddhists. Uh, it's the same with Hindus. In fact, every other major worldview in the world claims an exclusive way to truth. Yeah. Right. So who would you have to be to say, no, there's more than one way? Uh, you'd have to be God. Or, yeah. yeah. That's right. So, so if you were to say, so a lot of times the mountain, you heard the mountain illustration? No. So uh, if there was a mountain and there were several paths um, and um, all the paths led to the top of the mountain, wouldn't you, uh, wouldn't everyone get to the top of the mountain? And you might say, well, yeah, I guess if all the paths, but who would you have to be to say that all paths led to the top of the mountain? The person who made the paths? Yeah. You'd have to be the person that made the paths, the person who seed all the paths and all that stuff. So all truth claims, all truth claims are exclusivistic on one level or another. And what we're saying is this, as Christians, we have a, uh, we have a definition of who God is and how and what we have to do to get to God and to be with God. And um, I think, true, uh, you know, faith in that is the most reasonable thing in the world, especially as you think about all the other faiths out there. And I'm sure you're right. There are lots of other people with strongly held convictions. But I can tell you that in my experience, uh, it's a little like this. I have a brother who lives in Arkansas. Do you believe in him? Yeah. Yeah? Do you believe in him the same way I do? Uh, you've probably seen him, so probably That's not. Right. That's right. The reason that I believe in Jesus is that I know him, like I know my brother. There's good evidence that my brother exists. I can show you a scar he gave me when I was nine years old in my leg because he thought throwing a dart at his brother would be a fun idea. <laughs> okay. So the reason I believe in Jesus is because I've met him. I know him. Well, I have not, so I, I don't... Uh... That's right. So this guy's open to the gospel, right? So this guy's open to the gospel. Just now he said that there's exclusivity. He understands that. He said that there's lots of other people with strongly held convictions. In my mind, this person's ready for ready to hear the gospel and receive Jesus as their personal savior. If I was in an actual conversation, I would just roll right into the gospel. Okay? Good job, man. Chaz, good to see you again. Okay. Oh, oh goodness. I'm too old. <laughs> yes. I can get you those. All right. So who's got the next question? Who's got, was that okay? Did you guys see any flaws in what I said or things like that? Would you add anything to what I said? Was I in left field? Yeah, maybe. Oh, hold on. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. The only thing I would add, because
because I had the complete Bible answer book, <laughs> collector's edition from Hank Hanegraaff in small print. And I used to bring it out at CRC um, uh, just, just to validate a few things that I, I, I didn't know off the top of my head. But um, one of the things that this, this says, and I used to say it all the time too, is that one of the differences between Christianity as a religion and other religions like uh, Islam. Islam and Buddhism and... Um, well, those are offshoots of Christianity in a way, uh, but Hinduism and Judaism and so on and so forth is that um, Jesus was the only one out of all those religions, including Judaism, okay, that believe, you know, the Old Testament stops there. He's the only one that, that did two things. One, he claimed to be God. He was asked. He was almost bullied and repeatedly asked, and, uh, and he finally said, I, I am who you say I am. And there's a couple of other scriptures where he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. So he, he not only makes it exclusive, he says, I, I am that guy. He also is the only one, besides claiming to be God, he is also the only one who died and actually resurrected. Buddha didn't. Moses didn't. Um, none of the many, 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 many gods of the Hindu re religion did. So it, and also, in in addition to that, so it it makes it very intriguing, at the very least, and very solid argument that it is the only religion to follow because of those reasons, because it it makes it completely unique from all other religions. Also, all other religions, and I'll give it back over to you. It's, it's an uphill battle. It's always throughout history, it's mankind trying to reach up into the heavens. And luckily I wasn't standing here when I did that. Um, and, but Christian, Christianity is a downhill religion, right? We're not trying to reach up. Jesus already came down. God came down to us, and he reached us down here where we were. No other Roman religion, no other Greek religion, no other, no other religion. Um, it's always what I can do, what do I need to do to be able to get up to that point. And so Christianity, again, is unique. And another way to say that is God has speaking to us. So that's a good, so, so one of the things that I, I toyed with going, uh, going uh, down the path with Chaz with because he was hinting a little bit at arrogance like isn't it arrogant to think that your way is the only way and I, that's when I when I when I head down the path of the differences between what so because because with every other faith out there it's works-based faith how do I get to uh, uh, to Nirvana how do I get to heaven how do I get to God, how do I get to this next level, whatever that is? Well, it's the eightfold path, or the threefold this, or the twelve ways of doing that, or my good deeds outweighing my bad deeds. But in, in Christianity, it's unique in this. Christ actually did the work. God actually did the work. And the reason that's important as it relates to arrogance is we have nothing to boast in. 
If I had done the eightfold thing to get to nirvana, if I had done the threefold whatever, if I had done the good deeds outweighing bad deeds, I would be able to stand on the mountain with God and say, I have achieved. Only in Christianity we have God actually achieving and us only accepting the relationship and accepting the work that he did for us. That's why Christianity, you'll hear me say a lot of times when I preach, it's inherently humbling. It's inherently humbling. You cannot be arrogant and be a Christian. In fact, a lot of Christians are arrogant. They walk around and they scream people down and they think they're doing good work. And then when people scream back at them, they think they're being persecuted. You're being persecuted because you're being a jerk. (laughs) And they're different. They're not the same. Right? They're just different. (laughs) Right? 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 So... Yeah, so, so, so there's a misconception, though, because really any path, even the past, there is one religion in the East that is an all-paths kind of religion, actually. It's Baha'ism is the, is the name, and here's the deal, though. It's about exclusivity. The Jews have an exclusive path. The, the, everyone has an exclusive path, but here's what the Baha'is do. They reject the exclusivists by saying, that basically what you're saying when you, when you, is you're saying all, actually most of the world, the vast majority of the people in the world are wrong because they think there's an exclusive path. So even the inclusivist at one level is an exclusivist because they are excluding the, inclu- the exclusivist, right? Does that make sense? I mean, that was kind of a, yeah. So who's more? exclusivist the one that excludes like 99.9% of all the humans that have lived throughout history or though in fact it's more logically coherent to say that everybody's wrong than it is to say that one is right or excuse me it's it's more logically coherent to say that everyone is wrong than it is to say that everyone is right does that make sense because everyone can't be right right okay so let's move on. What's the next question? You, you, there was. Do you want to stand up? Come on. I have to sit down again. It's going to be weird. Come on. Okay. All right. So let's hear it. Uh, what's to say Jesus was not a bodhisattva? Define bodhisattva. So. If a Buddhist reaches enlightenment and achieves nirvana, instead of enjoying that, they come back as a compassionate being to show others the way. Mm. Some people believe that because the Bible doesn't mention all of Jesus' like, developing years before his ministry, he may have been a bodhisattva. Mm. So uh, in, in an effort to understand the question a little more, so uh, please stay standing. <laughs> in an effort to understand the question a little more, uh, are you asking this as a Christian person or are you, are, you, are you asking this as a person who, yeah, no, I know, I gotcha. Are you asking this, but you have to be in your role. Come on, you're breaking roles. All right. So uh, are you asking this as a Christian person or are you asking this uh, as a person who doesn't know Christ, Jesus just yet? Um, in a classroom setting where we use structured empathy and no one religion is right 
but we attempt to see why the believers think they are right. <laughs> I understood like a third of that. And I'm feeling pretty good about it, actually. The third that I understood, yeah. very good. Any religious studies class, any philosophy class. So, so what, I, what I would ask is this. Are you asking this just academically, or are you genuinely curious? Academically. And do you believe that he was the Buddha, or do you believe that Jesus lived, lived and died once? Lived and died once. Okay. So you must uh, you 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 are not a Buddhist person. You are okay. Okay. So in that situation, what I would say is this: it's probably an academic uh, thing that you're bringing up. And so I would say it's important as a person who maybe has some faith in God right now. Is that true? It's important to understand the scriptures because in the scriptures we read that that it is appointed unto a man to die to die once, right? And we also recognize that if Jesus were someone who came back as other people, as if, if reincarnation first off was real, that first statement would be odd, wouldn't it? Because that would sort of exclude reincarnation. But if Jesus were a person that came back and back and back and back, why then would he say um, uh, that I am the truth, the life, the way, that no one comes to the Father save through me? Because in uh, Pure Land Buddhism, uh, <laughs> there's the belief that you don't have to achieve enlightenment in this lifetime, but instead of like losing good karma, you say sutras and do things, and whichever uh, Buddha or Bodhisattva, I guess, you're respecting in the Sunland, they'll basically do the work for you. So I think Jesus just made it more digestible, approachable for people. As from the Western mindset, yeah. because it would be very bad karma to be born a Christian in the West yeah. and not, you know, a, a man in India or something. So what you seem to be saying is that if you're born outside of the Indian culture, it's okay to lie to people. Is that what you're saying? No. <laughs> yeah. It wouldn't be okay. I mean, if you were a holy person in the Buddhist, uh, in the Buddhist faith, you would not lie to people would you no intentionally you wouldn't you wouldn't lie to people that's that would be out of alignment with uh sort of the the the, the buddhist way you're sort of not to do harm to uh to other people and and not to lie to them certainly i would think right so uh so the thing that i would say is this they are both truth claims and the question is this which which carries with it more evidence of truth? Whenever we're evaluating truth, we have to look at ourselves and say, well, does this fit with what I understand of the universe and understand of reality or not? And when I answer the big questions, right? The big questions, do they all fit together in a cohesive story? So when I, when I ask myself, so some of this comes from a guy called Deepak Chopra, which, uh, who wrote a book that uh, basically says that there are three Jesus. And, and, uh, but the question is this. Have you, have you read that book? Okay. So, uh, so Chopra says basically this, that the, the Jesus of the Bible uh, is not real, uh, that he was made up by the church after he died. 
right? Uh, he says that the, the Jesus uh, of history is incomplete because he uh, merely lived and died a good life. But the Jesus that, that is real is the Buddha that you're talking about. But here's the problem. How does he substantiate all that he says about Jesus? The scriptures. So he goes to the scriptures that absolutely contradict the argument that he's making. So the question is, are the scriptures real or are they not real? Because if the scriptures are real, then Jesus is who he said he was. If the scriptures are not real, then why would you use an inauthentic document to substantiate a claim about a person who lived 2,000 years ago? Does that make sense? Cool. What did I miss, you guys? What did I miss? Hey, Canagraph. Keep, keep rolling. If you got, if you got the, oh yeah. Well, the, all, all they do, all they do here is cover essentially what the basic beliefs of Buddhism are, and then um, dispute it a little bit um, in sharp contrast to the Buddhist teaching um, that we must eliminate desire. So I'm going to go beyond what it says in here, but essentially, if there, if the form of Buddhism you're talking about is claiming that Jesus was the Buddha or a what did you call it? Yeah. Uh, a realized being, in other words. Um, what what they're, they're missing there, then, is kind of like what Wade said, is that the teaching of Jesus, his own teachings from his own followers, his own believers, contradict most of, not all, but much of the Buddhist um, doctrine. The Eightfold Path. Uh, if you just pick one, like suffering, uh, they they really you're supposed to spend your whole life kind of eliminating yourself from suffering because we're born into a world world of suffering. However, Jesus in Romans, if I can turn the page because it has it written here, says about suffering. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ to whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice, rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. Romans 5, 1-5. So, this is Paul writing this, of course, but Jesus is the one that said, I'm leaving you the Holy Spirit. So you can connect the dots. If we had time, we could connect the dots in this argument and say, wait a minute, the Christian faith and Jesus himself, who you're identifying as the Buddha master, he's not saying he's the Buddha master. And if he were, and if I'm getting this wrong, why didn't he teach the old eight? path while he was on earth and guess what he didn't yeah so that's right that's right so I, I might I, I might even uh, I might even say so if you had taken a harder road I might say the idea with Buddhism is to eliminate suffering through detachment right that's basically what Buddhism is would you agree right so why if uh, so 
if I were going to turn the question and ask a question to a Buddhist, I might say, why did the Buddha, the original, bother to debate the Hindu philosophers of his day? Why did he care enough to write the scriptures down? Why did he care enough to reject the Vedas? If it's an attachment to detachment, isn't he betraying his own cause by being attached to the argumentation associated with, right? So, so, so I might even... That's right. The Hindu religion. Hindus no, not, do not like Buddhists. That's right. Just so you know. They fight a yeah. lot. Yeah. So, and that's where Wade is, is coming yeah. from. And this didn't happen super long time ago. So if I have, there's another question that I love, and it always starts with, what do you call a person who? And whenever I end, so, when things get pretty heated, I like to say things like, what do you call a person who? We just said that Jesus, if he was a Buddha, would have been lying to his disciples and allowing that to be propagated for now 2,000 years, misleading millions of people into a false hope and false religion. What would you call someone who is leading someone into a false hope or false religion? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> right? In fact, Jesus was a, was a, he's a monastic kind of a guy, meaning that he's a, he believes in a monad. There's one way, right? So what would you say to someone who's, who misleads millions of people into the one way if he knew that it was wrong? I mean, that would be diabolical, right? If the path to get to nirvana included those, whatever, eight things... Eightfold path, then, and you lied about it, and that lie was propagated, you would be the most evil person in the history of mankind. Wouldn't you? You misled millions. And Muslims would cut off your head for saying that about the prostitution. Probably, yeah. So, um, what's up, Grant? Let's hear it. One question for you. Yes. Uh, But religion. Do you want it? Yeah. 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 So, it's about in the in in the, so, 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 so in the Middle East. What is the ISIS? What what is the, the what is the Islamic ISIS point of view of their religion? Mm. I'm just asking the question. Yeah. What is their what is what is the, the, the what is the, the the Islamic ISIS terrorist point of view of their religion? Their point of view. So uh, let me ask you a question. What if the guys that drove the airplane into those buildings were right about who God is? Well, I believe their point of view is got 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 very distorted. I agree, but what if they're right? What if God says the best thing that you can do is drive planes into buildings to to kill those that disagree with you? Then, then, then they got a point. So the implications of this question, sometimes we can pass by the implications of this questions. What we think about God has serious ramifications culturally, globally. This is huge because if you believe the wrong thing about God, if you believe the wrong thing about God, then it, then it can, I mean, basically it'll, it, I mean, it causes things like this. Look at if, if ISIS is right about who God is, we should all be Islamic. Right? So I'm going to pass this around. Is that okay, Grant? Yes. Awesome. So, 
So what I would say is this, for the vast majority of us in this culture, it's easy for us to go through our lives without considering the real implications of who God actually is. It's easy to go through life that way. But recognize that when there are divergent views of God, and if this is the natural extrapolation about what those people think about God, and God is that way, then we should all be running planes into buildings. Right? Because if that is who God is, then that's what we should do. But the question is, is that who God is? And it does us no good to stand around not asking ourselves the most important questions right? Because the implications are huge. And if God, so we talked about Buddhism er earlier, if that's the explanation for reality, and attachment to, detach attachment to detachment is the highest order of a human life, what should I do with my family? How should I act with my son? Well, I can tell you what, what, the, what the Buddha did with, uh, with his son, Rahul. He abandoned him. Because attachment to detachment and seeking nirvana was more important than the, the, the rightful thing that we feel, which is, he, in fact, he called Rahul the ball and chain that kept him back. Now, the implications, we tend to think that, that all worldviews are basically the same, fundamentally the same, and only superficially different. But I'll tell you, the inverse is actually true. All world, are, are, they are, all worldviews are superficially the same and intrinsically different. The path to heaven is very important if, you th if one group thinks that running planes into buildings is the way to get there versus another group who thinks that loving, do you want to love your neighbor or eat your neighbor? Because both exist in the world. Right? Most of us can agree that, not, that, you know, Nazi Germany didn't have a great, like Hitler didn't have a great worldview. Right? The implications of this are huge. And leaving the big questions unanswered, passively going through our days, is not, I mean, this is why, and the answers in Christianity, I'll just say this. It's one thing I missed with you. I always want to end with, like, why Christianity, why they should believe in Christianity. It's like a test gospel, right? The answers that Christianity provides are so robust, so meaningful, so deep, a lot of things you get like one inch deep and suddenly they lose meaning. But in Christianity, the deeper you go, the more meaningful it gets. And I'll tell you, I've been at this a long time, studying, being, interacting, loving God a long time. And the longer I do it, the better it gets. How many things in life are like that? Not many. All right, you had a question. Come on, man, come on. So you tell me that Jesus came and died for my sins so that I could be, you know, reconciled to God and all that. Just kind of, you know, that, that'd be cool. But I, I really don't feel like I'm that bad of a person. Like, personally, I think I'm actually pretty good. Like, I, <laughs> I paid off my car loan. I, yeah, I, got, I get good grades in school. All my parents love me. I haven't killed anybody recently. Like, <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like, so uh, wh what, do you, what does the term good mean to you? When you say that you're a good guy, what does that mean exactly? Uh, that is, don't do bad. Yeah. 
What's what's bad? Well, I don't know, like doing like really evil stuff. Like you know, Hitler was bad. He yeah. killed people. Which is, that's that's a, that's a big one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. Genocide. Yeah, genocide's right. also on that list. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, so when I went to school, they had these grades. And these grades were based on, like, for example, I would take a test, and if you got between 70% of the questions right and, and 80, if you got, like, 70 to 79, that was a C. If you got 80 to 89, that was a B. And if you got 90 to 100, that was an A. So how many good things, I mean, how many, when, you have the, when you're on the horns of that dilemma, and how many good things do you have to do? What percentage of good choices do you have to make over the bad? I mean, I assume that you've lied once in a while. Is that true? Uh, probably more than once in a while. Yeah. So if you're on those decisions, like what percentage do you have to get to be good? Well, I mean, I think I think I'm I think it's I'm good as long as I don't, you know, cause hurting to other people. I mean, I don't think lying is necessarily wrong if you're not really hurting anybody. Like if something, you know, like if my teacher asked me why I didn't do my homework and I said, oh, I was, you know, really busy doing something else that was, you know, life or death. I mean, it's not like. Great, but it's not. I mean, nobody's been hurt. It's fine. I don't yeah. think that's the worst thing that could happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so let me just ask this. I want to make sure that I understand yeah. fully, and then I'm going to give you a uh, an answer. I, okay. I, I promise you. Oh, no, no, no. So why are you asking the question? Um, let's see. Why am I? Just because, I mean, I, well, cause I'm kind of curious. I'm legit, I mean, I'm legitimately curious about this Jesus you guys, you've told me about, but I don't really see the need for him. Yeah, so I'm glad, I'm glad that you answered that way, because here's the thing. When I went through my, uh, my ordination training and all the theological training and all that stuff, do you know what I asked my teachers the first, the first day? Every time what I asked them is, what's passing, how many days can I miss, and how many assignments can I miss? Do you know why? I wasn't interested in the difference between an A and a C. I wanted to get a C or above, and I really wasn't interested in all the rest of it, right? right. So here's the thing. It was up to the teacher, wasn't it? Yeah. Right. So uh, the thing about God is there, there are a lot of Christians believe that there's only one way to heaven. And, uh, and you'll know why after I say this next statement. You ready? There is another way. Jesus answered the question. Somebody says to him, Jesus, how do I get to heaven? And Jesus says, we have to pay, obey all the laws and all the commandments. So when I say all, what percentage does that? It sounds like 100%. It sounds like 100%. <laughs> yeah. Do you know how many laws there are in the Old Testament? Uh, quite a few. From like hundreds. Yeah. yeah. It's like if you were rounding, you'd go to 1,000, <laughs> yeah, right? Probably. That's right. So it's very likely that you won't get 100%. Do you, look, if you feel like you're that perfect in life, there is only one solution for you. You have to get married. That's the only way that you're going you're gonna to find out that you're actually not perfect in that way. Right? Because, or you can have kids. If the marriage thing doesn't help, then the kids thing will definitely get you there because none of us actually are 100% in this test. And that's what's required outside of Jesus. Does that make sense? So yeah. Jesus provides a way for a 40%er like me to come into heaven because there's no way having my history that I could possibly outdo all the bad stuff that I've done. If the passing grade is 100%, I have to be perfect. And there's only one that was perfect. And his name was Jesus, right? In theory. 
That is exactly what we believe. That is exactly right. So let me ask you this. If the pass rate was 100%, get 100, you pass. Get 99, you fail. And Jesus wasn't there. How many people would be in heaven? One? Nunsies. Yeah, nunsies. That's right. <laughs> nunsies. Nunsies. Right? You know what happened? What was your name again? Uh, Todd. Todd. I'm Wade. It's good to meet you. So it's like this, Todd. I need character, guys. Calm down. I know. <laughs> you got to be 100% to be accepted into heaven, right? But isn't that kind of ridiculous? Like, I don't know. Is God perfect? If God's the standard. See, if I'm, if I'm measuring myself against Todd, I may or may not do pretty well. But if I'm measuring myself against God, it's like this. Your resume to become part of the Trinity has been received and rejected. As it, Can I feel that? As it turns like. out, perfection is the standard and you're not meeting the minimum qualifications at this time. Feel free to send your resume in again. Right? So, so that's the thing. We need God in order to, uh, to achieve perfection. We need God. Because we're not going to do it on our own. Gotcha. Right? And there's something in the heart of man that knows this. Would you agree with that, Todd? I'd, I'd probably have to think about it a little bit, mold over. But yeah. it sounds good. Sounds yeah. Good. Okay. All right, good. So what, what would you guys say next? What would you guys do? <laughs> I, I would have kept going with the teacher thing with the teacher and the grade. Yeah. Because we have the teacher. <laughs> yeah. The teacher. Okay, let's see what the teacher has to say. That's right. Jesus, the teacher, how many mistakes did he, did he make? How many times did he sin? And what did he say about where we fit in? That's right. Right. Yeah. All right. Cool. Honestly, here's an honest question for you. Yes. Honestly, you know how kids are good at first? When they get when when they get older, they they start doing some naughty things. When when they when they're in their young teenage prime years, yeah. like bad stuff. When I like I I I could go from good to bad. Yeah. So here's the thing. You ever had a baby? No, not 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 yet. Do you call selfishness good or bad? Is that a good attribute or a bad attribute? Because I, I, I can tell you that he never. He never cared that it was 3 a.m. and I was trying to sleep and I had to work the next morning. He never cared that. You know what he cared about? What? My diaper needs to be changed. <laughs> My, I need to be fed. Kids are the most selfish people that you will ever find. It takes years to train that selfishness out of them and we're still working at it a lot of times. I'm still working on it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So who else? Yes. Why does your God require a blood sacrifice? <laughs> why, does the, why does God require a blood sacrifice? So uh, did you ever see the movie The Passion of the Christ? Yeah. What did you think of it? It was very bloody. It's like gross, right? It was like, wow. Yeah, so that, that's disturbing, right? Yeah, it seems unnecessary. Seems unnecessary. Powerful God, just forgive without a blood sacrifice. What's the point of that? Mm. 
So that's a great question. Uh, are you asking that as a Christian person or as a non-Christian person? Agnostic. Agnostic person. So here's the thing. Why, why did the Passion have to, why did the, the scenes and the incidences in the movie The Passion have to occur? So the idea was that humanity was sinful. We had a perfect relationship with God, and we chose to sin. We chose to declare war on God, honestly. And that war still persists to this day. But th through the actions that were portrayed in the, cro in the, the Passion, that was God making right what was made wrong in the beginning. And here's the thing. God is always about physical reminders of spiritual realities. So, what do you think the physical reminder of the blood, the guts, and the gore? I mean, that, that lictern is just pouring that whip over Jesus' back, pulling flesh off. Then he's hunched over that stump. And blood is everywhere. What visual representation is being given there of the spiritual reality? So I want to submit to you this. Do you remember in the garden when Jesus is praying? God, would you just take this from me. I don't want this to go this way, man. Is there any other way? If there's any other way, I'll, stand, I'll, 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 I'll take it. Remember that part? Do you remember that scene? So, do you think that it was the physical thing that Jesus was sort of nervous about? Or was there something else happening? Because people get tortured all the time, right? So, so, so you know this, right? Like in the Middle East, people right now today are being forced to answer questions like, if you renounce your faith, I won't torture you and kill you. And they don't renounce their faith, and then they get tortured and killed. Was Jesus kind of a wimp? Was he looking at this thing saying, man, I'm really nervous about this? Do you think that's what Jesus was doing? No, but didn't the Jews also sacrifice animals and their blood played into things? What is the point of the blood? Yeah. Well, so there's a death. I mean, the, the life of an animal is in the blood, that says, right? So there's a death involved. And I would say this. The way that I would answer this question is that there is a spiritual reality being reflected in the visual thing. Why didn't Jesus go into a dark corner somewhere and die? Why do you have to do it in such a public way? In fact, that's what the, uh, the Muslims have such a problem with. God would never allow himself to be so discredited and put on by his own creation. They have a real problem with Jesus being punished that way. But our God is different. It's a public spectacle. Because that visual representation of what's happening there is reflecting a a spiritual and inward reality that I submit to you was far worse than the pulling off of skin. In fact, I would say this, that moment where Jesus says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, I can't remember the pronunciation, but he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I would submit to you, that's the moment 
That's what Jesus is, is so desperate to get out of. It's the first time that there's a separation between the Son and the Father. It's the first time that that communion is broken. And I submit to you this. That's exactly that communion being broken. It's exactly what's being put back together with all the blood and all the gore because there's a death that happens when we declare war on God. There's a death of something that we can't even remember. We scarcely see a glimpse of it, the best of us, when we, when we have these, uh, you know, a long life of spiritual reality of pursuing God. We get a glimpse of it and we see what we were intended to be. And that bloody scene is a reminder to us that sin is serious business. And if we actually knew what sin was, we would stay away from even the outskirts of it because we know that that's punishment and stripes. That is, that is we are causing the one who loves us so greatly all that pain, all that suffering. It is, through our, it is because of our sin that that was necessary. So I would say this. It's important to remember that physical reminder of the spiritual reality that took place there, that God himself bore our sins, and it was ugly, and it was a mess, and he'd do it all again for you. How about that? Is that okay? That was good. That okay. <laughs> Oh, sure. Yeah. So they think that, uh, that Judas was put on the cross in Jesus' place. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Jesus was a fairly common name. still a common name. Dude does my yard. Gertrude. Do you want to stand up here, Gertrude? Okay. Yeah. So would it be fair to say that your question is basically why do bad things happen to good people? Is that kind of what you're saying? Or are you more saying... Oh, 
So are you saying then that God seems like a bad God? It seems that he doesn't really care. Mm. Mm. So, um, so he seems to be ambivalent. Is that right? We, he sees bad things he's going on. Good, yeah. And, he allow, and he's all powerful. Yeah. He could eliminate the suffering. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so you're saying that he's bad. Let me ask you this. Let's supposing we say this. Gertrude, let me ask you this. If you were standing next to train tracks and there was a baby in a crib on the train tracks and you saw a train coming, the baby's strapped in. Baby's got no chance of moving. All you have to do is pick the carriage up and put it over here. But instead, you just stand, Gertrude, and watch the train crush the baby. Is that good or bad? It's terrible. That's right. That's right. So if we're saying that God is an all-powerful God, but he sees these evil things happening, we're not saying that he's ambivalent or that he just doesn't seem to care, can't be bothered. What we're saying is he's standing there watching the train coming, and he's not willing to pick up the baby. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, so he's kind of evil. Wouldn't you say that? So then, then why can't you see he's good? Yeah. So here's the thing. Inherent in that question, would you agree that you're sort of making a judgment between good and bad, and then you're applying God's name to the bad side of the ledger? Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So what you're at least acknowledging, first off, then, that is that there would be a moral law that would say what's good or what's bad. Your moral law says grab the baby off of the train tracks. Would you agree? Is that right? Yeah, you're kind of saying one of these things is good, one of these things is bad. And what God seems to be doing is, is sort of um, choosing the bad side when he has the option. Would you agree with that? So, um, so the, the question that I would have for you is this. How do you determine good and bad? How do you determine good and bad? saw the shack so I know this answer <laughs> uh, I would say that if it's good something that's good would not hurt people and something that's bad would why is it bad to hurt people well because I wouldn't like to be hurt and so therefore it must be bad so uh, are you saying then that it's bad to hurt you or that it's bad to hurt just people? It's bad to hurt everybody. Mm. So if you, um, so it's bad to hurt everybody. And what gives you that law? What gives you, you're determining some things is good, some things is bad. So what tells you that it's good or bad? Is there a law somewhere that tells you that? No, it's just, it's obvious. Um, Hurting isn't good. It doesn't make you feel good, so it must be bad. What if it makes me feel good to rape people? Is that okay? No, because it hurts other people. What's so special about other people? <laughs> Why is it bad to hurt other people? Isn't that just sort of your opinion that I shouldn't hurt people? What if hurting other people makes me feel good? Then you're bad. So you're calling me bad? Yes. <laughs> but isn't that just your opinion? 
Well, no, it's obvious. Is it? Yes. <laughs> it wasn't so obvious to the Germans, was it? The Nazis? Were they, did they care about hurting Jews? Um, I don't think they did. Do you want to lifeline it? Uh, so, so, yeah. So, uh, so, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, my brack is hurting. Um, so, so follow me, Gertrude. So, Gertrude, uh, so I'm saying that if I'm a person, and actually history is, there's a lot of really, a lot of people who decided that sort of doing what you're calling bad things was good to them. And what I'm asking for is, is, isn't it just an opinion then that one thing is bad and one thing is good? Or is there something that you can point to to say, that's what makes this bad and that good? Yes, it's what I think it is. So what makes your opinion more important than other people's? I think everybody agrees with me. Is that true? So if everyone agreed that killing people was good, would that make it good? No. Why? Because I don't agree. <laughs> so what you're really saying is that you would like to be the one. <laughs> so what? So what I think what I think I'm hearing is that Gertrude would like to decide what's right and wrong, and have other people comply with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it works that way at my house too. Gertrude is a cleric. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it works that way for me, too. So uh, you're in good company. So, so, so here's the thing. History has lots of good examples of people who uh, thought that hurting people, other people, was good, and, and, or, and, and, and they perpetrated that on lots and lots of people, millions of people. Stalin did it to millions and millions of people. Uh, Pol Pot and lots and lots of other people throughout history have caused it to be good. And the question is this. Uh, do, you, do you understand that the term might makes right? Do you know what that means? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So uh, what you seem to be saying is as long as you're sort of in the position of authority, then you dictating what's right and wrong is good. But if someone else were in the authority and they said that what you formerly thought of was good is bad and what you formerly thought of as bad is good, then you would have a problem with that. Okay, but this is not my question. My question is, if God is good, why does he allow suffering? That's right. So what I'm establishing now is you must have a moral law that goes beyond yourself. Otherwise, all you have in societies is might making right. So, uh, and, and that points to a lawmaker, right? Because if you have a moral law, and we all would agree, actually, you're right. Most cultures throughout history have all agreed that hurting other people is not good. And the rare exceptions, we all know those rare exceptions, but the vast majority of people have adhered to what we would call kind of this moral law of good and bad. And what I would say is this, it's good or bad based on, uh, uh, based on this moral law, I would say this. In the Old Testament, there's lots of examples of God telling his people to take a town, to kill everyone, and actually to kill the goats and all that stuff too, and all the animals and stuff like that. But here's the thing. Who would be in a position to make that right? Is there anyone that you can conceive of? Is there any way that it would be right to kill somebody? 
No. How about if they uh, were like they made a living out of raping babies? Would that be a person who you'd be okay with killing? I have to think about that. So uh, most people would come to the conclusion at some point that it's sort of okay to either lock someone away or to even kill them, right? Because of the things that they've done in their life that are just making them not pleasant to live around for everybody else, right? Like if you're killing your neighbors, you probably have to go to jail at least, right? Most people would agree with that. So God actually doesn't think of people as like their whole existence ending at their time of death. Did you know that? I've heard. Yeah. yeah. So God, for God, he has the ability to allow the baby to get run over by the train, but then to take the baby up and make that baby alive again. That's what we believe. So my question is this. If in the event that there are some things that are worthy of punishment and God, the moral law giver, has chosen some things to be bad and some things to be good, is there an, an event that you can conceive of where it's the right thing for the people that were killed to have been killed? What if they were baby rapers? Maybe. To a person. I mean, what if they were like total like, I mean, I'm just outlandishly thinking out loud here. What if an entire culture full of people who were baby rapers? Could you see why? God would say, you know what? It's better that these folks die so that more babies don't get raped. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense, right? So here's the thing. What? I'm stuck. Actually, I'm totally stuck. Okay. So I'm stuck. Gertrude's Gertrude. Yeah. And so would it not? So in this particular situation, would you not go the route of? Um, free will and yeah, evil in the world and yeah. that kind of thing is that sure so yeah baby makers yeah. Baby so killers. so what you're true yeah yeah that's right so does anyone else have a cool yeah you've got the <laughs> so yeah so gertrude gertrude and like if some it it when like you know how in the mention of the gun, then like like gun like in the first mention in history when they called guns, then the why they were they were they were they were tended for good, but they what they would end up turning turn turn to bad because bad people and hurt people use them to murder and kill. I actually like your free will thing. If I could turn back time, that's where I would go. Okay. Because God gave people the opportunity to choose good versus evil. Huge numbers of them chose evil. The punishment for evil is death. That is not passed down. I like the, I like the, the yeah. I like the, 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 the bringing in the moral law thing. That's important, especially it for is. a, uh, but, yeah. but you, you took me around a pretty long block for that one. Gertrude was a tough one. I love that. I love Gertrude. She's awesome. All right. Todd, is it? Todd, is that right? I know. Oh, I <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I think in, 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 in having a good grasp on both, right? So, so you would say that, uh, that uh, you know, uh, apologetics is a discipline of theology, right? So in the study, in the larger study of who God is, apologetics is the study of the defense of that God. Uh, and so that's, that's right. Yeah, sometimes those things can become pretty deep, pretty quick, and it ends up being kind of a long discussion, right? So, um, and speaking of a long yeah. discussion, we're going to have to bring it to an end. <laughs> you, you miss this, don't you, Joanna? Admit it. So, it is. So, we're, we're, we're going to probably close with this. It's, it's, you can't teach this either, you know, it's just, it just comes natural. Um, so why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? The complete Bible answer book, collector's edition. Hank Hanegraaff, yeah. page 135. This is perhaps the most common question Christian celebrities are asked to answer on shows such as Larry King Live. At first blush, it may seem as though there are as many responses as there are religions. In reality, however, there are only three basic answers. Namely, pantheism, philosophical naturalism, and theism. I'm not going to go into pantheism or philosophical naturalism. I'll go to Christian theism. Christian theism acknowledges <laughs> that God created the potential for evil because God created humans with freedom of choice. We choose to love or hate, to do good or evil, and I guess, as I've heard recently, for some to be baby rapers. The record, I mean, I just heard it. I don't know. Um, the record of history beats eloquent testimony to the fact that humans of, that humans of, thank you, that humans of their own free will have actualized the reality of evil through such choices. Think of him talking about Hitler and Pope Pot and, and um, the Russian dude. Um, furthermore, without choice, love is meaningless. God is neither a cosmic rapist who forces his love on people nor a cosmic puppeteer who forces people to love him. Instead, God, the personification of love, grants us the freedom of choice. Without such freedom, we would be little more than pre-programmed robots. Finally, the fact that God created the potential for evil by granting us freedom of choice ultimately will lead to the best of all possible worlds, a world in which, quote, there will be more death or mourning or crying or pain, Revelation 21.4. Those who choose Christ will be redeemed from the evil by his goodness and will forever be able not to sin. Romans 8.28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. So the long and the short of that, obviously, is, and, and I, I use this a lot in those cases, is that um, there's bad people. Bad people do bad things. And God is not a puppeteer. You know, when we cry about bad things that happen, he's crying about bad things that happen. 
He rejoices when we rejoice. He's hurt by it. And you can't, and this leads to another whole another chain of thought, but you, you bring, introduce evil into the world. Why would he introduce evil? Where does Satan come in and the devil? And um, Scripture teaches, well, I don't believe in the Bible, so you can't go there. But everybody would agree there's evil in the world. Okay, Christians call that evil Satan. And he's the ruler of this world. And he likes nothing better than to have baby rapists and Hitlers and this and that. And he's cruel and evil and hurtful and so on and so forth. Um, and God does not approve of that, but God allows it to happen because he created everything and he's in total control, but he allows this to happen. You can go into the story of Job if you want to rely on that, uh, which is a great apologetic story, really, and, and introducing this area evil. Um, so I'm just leaving it short like that. Um, because it requires more in-depth, because people will start asking more questions. Well, where did Satan come from? And why did God introduce evil in the first place? And why doesn't he uh, intervene? And I love it when they ask that, because he does intervene. He uses us to intervene. And he will stop things if people are abhorred about it. You know, gaps thing, um, uh, Ezekiel 22.30. He was going to wipe out his chosen people. He was going to kill them all. But some people intervened and said, God, you don't, don't do that. We're your good people. We don't know. Who will stand in the gap for my evil people? So God is broken by our prayers and by our pleas and saying, please stop this evil. Please stop this. He will listen to us, and he will intervene on our behalf. So there you go. Cool. So we're going to close in prayer. Is yeah. that right? So some of these things end up to being a long, long conversation. Uh, but uh, but that was great. Thank you, Randall. Uh, so I'll be hanging around if you guys want to have more conversations or things like that. But I think it is time to uh, cut everyone loose. So it's 9:38. Does that sound right? Yeah, that was great though. Uh, so. It's okay not to have the, all of the answers, too, right? I mean, like, you can't have all the answers. And if you develop relationships, then you have the opportunity to come back to the Gertrudes and say, you know what, I've done some more thinking about that. Can we have lunch, you know? And I think, too, Wade, wouldn't you say, too, not to be afraid to get into some conversations? No, do it. Because yeah. Because God will yeah. not just give you the words to say. Yeah. He wants you to get into those words. Absolutely. So... It's definitely okay not to have all the answers. You know, what? The, the one thing that people can't take from you is your own testimony, right? So after all of this stuff, when I said to uh, um, uh, Chaz earlier, hey, uh, you know, like, yo, dude, uh, I got a brother who lives in Arkansas, do you believe in him? And he's like, well, I do. Do you know why? Like strongly, because I know him, right? That's the same way that you believe in that we believe in Jesus, right? It's not like this distant thing. It's like this thing that. And and what's Gertrude going to say to that? Look, at the at the end of the day, I really don't have to necessarily have that answer, but I have the most important answer. I have met Jesus and know him like I know my brother. You might not know him now, but I'm telling you, he exists. I'll show you the scar. <laughs>
right? So, so, so that's an important thing to know is that at the end of it, God has given you a testimony. He has given you a story that is uniquely your own, and it is applicable to every conversation, right? So get into the conversations. And even if you do have the wrong answers or you don't have the right answers or you feel like that did not go well, it's okay. Because what that does is it tells you what you need to go home and study, right? Like I've had that experience a lot of times where like, blah, 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 that did not go well. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> right. You <laughs> There you go. That was perfect. That was awesome. All right. So, uh, who could read that tiny book? Anyway, <laughs> so let's pray, and then we'll uh, and then we'll close up, and you guys can talk to me afterwards or not. I'm tired, so I might not have good answers. Anyway, uh, Lord, we love you. We thank you uh, for being here tonight. It's so good, Lord, to know that. The power actually doesn't come from our ability to come up with the best answers. That you use the broken things and you use our weaknesses, Lord, to demonstrate your strength. That is such a, a pivotal truth, Lord. And it ought to give us confidence then to go into these conversations, to begin to talk about our relationship with you and to begin to just start to talk to our friends and our family and those that we come into contact with about the most important things. Lord, so many of us go through our lives and we just don't have these conversations. And so, Lord, I pray that somehow you would organize our lives in a way that would cause these conversations to come upon us even. That out of the blue, people would have these questions, Lord, and that we would find ourselves in these conversations. We know, Lord, that we are weak vessels. We have really nothing to offer this, uh, to, to offer you in this scenario. But we know, Lord, that you use the least of us to do the mightiest of things. That you work in our weaknesses. And that it may be those very things that we think of as hindrances that are the most powerful tools in your arsenal so lord we just submit ourselves to this and, and we pray that somehow you would bring those conversations into our path that you'd help us to have the answers that not only sound good and all those things i mean all that's just fluff honestly lord what we want to do is to demonstrate your goodness to people in a way that allows them to receive the gospel we desperately want to do that in our lives. And Lord, I just, I just pray that somehow you would give these young people the opportunity to do that in, that in their own spheres of influences, even as they go through their church life and their work life and their school life and, and, and just their life, Lord. I just pray that you will somehow give them all that they need to approach these conversations with a prayerful heart and, and, and all uh, that you would have us, us to do, Lord, and, and just, just bring these conversations to pass in our lives. 
Lord, remind us of your goodness. Remind us of what we're here to do. I pray for blessings on this group. I pray, Lord, that each individual in this room just goes from this place and somehow takes something uh, with them. I pray that uh, your blessings would just be poured out onto, um, onto this entire group, every person in this room, Lord, that, uh, that somehow they would, they would find a new experience of you, a glimpse of your glory that they didn't previously have. Lord, I thank you for Jonathan. I thank you for Randall and Nancy. And I thank you for everyone that's serving to make this Remedy team work and, and, and move. And it's so good to see it doing well, Lord. Um, we, we love Remedy. And, and uh, Lord, I just, um, I just pray that you continue to bless this ministry. So, Lord, now we go from this place. We ask you to bless us. And we ask you to help us to glorify your name and see just a glimpse of who you are and, and get to understand and know you better. Uh, Lord, we pray all these things in your holy, precious name. Amen.